Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Calvary. Thank you so much for joining us for worship today, whether you're here in the room, whether you're over in our chapel or at our Minnetonka campus, or whether you're joining us uh, online from anywhere else in the world. We're just so grateful and blessed to be able to come together to lift up the name of the Lord this morning. So thanks for being here. Uh, My name is Dagny. I am the pastor of traditional worship and care here at Calvary. And today we are going to be wrapping up our New Testament postcard series together, uh, where we have been looking at some of the shortest books in the New Testament. Um, And I have loved this series because even though these, these books and these letters are super short, they are filled with such truth and such richness, and they each have something to teach us about God and his character and about his plan for us as his followers. So I have had a great time in this series. Uh, So far, we've taken a look at Jude and at 3 John. Um, And if you didn't get a chance to hear those sermons, I really encourage you to go back on our website and check them out because those two short letters offer some incredible teaching and truth about faithful perseverance and also about spiritual health. So I would definitely recommend going back and watching those. Uh, But today, to close out the series, we will be looking at the book of Philemon, uh, which is actually one of my favorite books in the Bible. I spent a little bit of time in seminary uh, studying this Bible or this book in the Bible, uh, writing some papers on it. Uh, So I'm really excited that we get to uh, explore it together this morning. So if you have your Bible with you, uh, or if you have a Bible app on your phone or on your tablet, let's go ahead and turn to Philemon together. Uh, it's in the New Testament, uh, and it's found right between Titus, which is another short book, and Hebrews. So it's right in between those two if you're looking for it in your Bible. Um, and as you're turning there, I actually want to start today by reading a couple verses from a passage in Romans. And it's Romans 6, verses 17 and 18. And it says, thanks be to God. Once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin and you have become slaves to righteous living. These two verses from Romans actually pretty much sum up what the book of Philemon illustrates. And that is that the gospel changes things. Now, if you're not familiar with the letter or with the story of Philemon, that is totally fine because we are going to walk through the whole thing together this morning, uh, and we're just going to jump right in and start at the beginning with verses one through seven. So let's read those together. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. So right in the opening with these first seven verses, we learn a lot 
about this letter. First, we learn that Philemon was written by Paul while he was in prison in Rome. And it is actually Paul's shortest and most personal letter that we have in the Bible. And it was addressed primarily to a man named Philemon, who Paul had come to know and who he had led to Christ at some point on his missionary journeys. This letter is also addressed to a woman named Aphia, who was likely Philemon's wife. It's addressed to Archippus, who may have been a son or maybe a preacher. And it's also addressed to the entire church that met in Philemon's home. So while this letter addresses Philemon in a very personal way, we can also assume that the contents of this letter were shared with the entire church that met in his home. Now, based on what we know about the early church, we can also assume that this church met in Philemon's home because he was a wealthy man. And so he would have had a big house with enough rooms and space for everyone to gather together. And I love also that in these first verses, Paul takes the time to express gratitude and praise for Philemon's faith and love to all the people around him. These verses give us a rich picture of who Philemon was as a man and as a follower of Jesus, a man whose faith and whose love was so great that stories of it had reached all the way into Rome where Paul was in prison. So let's read on together, starting in verse eight. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, Yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel, but I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother, it is very, he is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Now Philemon's wealth also means that he would have been a slave owner. And one of his slaves was a man named Onesimus. Now it's important to note that slavery in ancient Rome looked very different from our American understanding of slavery. It was more along the lines of indentured servitude, which means that slaves typically owed a debt to their master and so they worked to pay it off. But even so, Roman law provided very little, if any, protection for these slaves. And the law even specifically stated that their owners could put runaway slaves to death in order to serve as a sort of warning to others. And in these verses, we learned that Onesimus was a runaway slave and therefore was guilty of a crime punishable by death. But as Onesimus ran away from his master Philemon, at some point he ended up in Rome and he crossed paths with Paul. 
We don't know why or when or even really how they met, but we do know that as a result of this meeting, Paul shared the gospel with Onesimus and he became a follower of Jesus. The two of them developed a close friendship and Onesimus even ended up staying with Paul in Rome and helped him with his missionary work there. After having met Onesimus and learning about his past and where he came from, who his master was, and having seen him come to Christ and grow in his faith and love, Paul then appeals to his friend Philemon in a letter. He writes to Philemon and to the church that meets in his home asking that Onesimus be welcomed back to them, not as a second-class citizen or as a criminal in need of punishment, but as a beloved brother in Christ Jesus. Now Paul was an apostle. He could have asserted that authority over Philemon and simply commanded him to do what he wanted. And many people actually argue that Paul was backhandedly doing just that all throughout the letter. But instead of demanding something of Philemon, Paul writes as a friend to a friend, appealing to his love and faith in order to do what he knows is right. Paul continues and says, so, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from, the Lord, from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And that's how the letter ends. Now, Paul doesn't deny that Onesimus had committed a crime, but he does ask that he be forgiven and that all of his debts be transferred to Paul himself and that he be shown mercy and that he be welcomed back, not as a slave, but as a dear brother. Now, even though this is a short letter, there's a lot going on in it. It is vibrant, it is filled with nuance and with detail, both within the letter itself and within the story that warranted the letter. But today I want us to pay particular attention to how this letter demonstrates exactly what Paul said in those couple verses from Romans that we read at the beginning. The truth that the gospel changes things. And the first thing I want us to see is that the gospel changes our character. Notice that everyone in this story is acting and behaving in a way that is the complete opposite to how they would have before meeting and accepting Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Let's take a look at Paul. Let's not forget what Paul was like before he encountered Christ. Paul participated in the stoning of Stephen. In Acts 8, it says that Paul ravaged the church, entering house after house and dragging men and women to prison. 
Or just a little later in Acts 9, we read that Paul was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He even describes himself as having been a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. He says these things in 1 Timothy. And then in Galatians, he says that he had sought to destroy God's church because he was so zealous for the Jewish traditions. But then here, about 25 years or so later, we see Paul as gentle and humble. We see him as a passionate follower of Jesus, gracious and urging others around him to show love and to show kindness. Now I wonder if, like me, you can relate to Paul a little bit. See, before I came to really know Christ as my Lord and Savior, I don't think I was all that kind or gentle. I was often mean to my sisters and to my friends. I was jealous of other girls in school. I was greedy and I was selfish, always choosing to do things that put me at the center of attention or made me seem or at least feel like I was better than other people. And maybe before you came to Christ, you too were angry or selfish. Maybe you were jealous or had a reputation for having a really short temper. But just like it happened with Paul, when we learn to walk in the spirit, we begin to see our outbursts of anger or of greed or selfishness turn into things like love and joy and peace and patience. God also changed Onesimus' character. He hadn't been a Christian for nearly as long as Paul, but according to Paul, there were already major changes in his character. Formerly, he had served Philemon grudgingly and with resentment. Verse 11 says that Onesimus had been useless to Philemon, probably doing the bare minimum and stealing from his master and looking for all sorts of ways to escape. But then he heard the gospel and came to know Christ as his Lord, and so was ready to return to his master, ready and willing to render whatever service was required of him. It's funny, Paul actually uses a play on words in verse 11, because the name Onesimus actually means useful. Paul says before, Onesimus was useless, but now, having been changed by the gospel, he lives up to his name, and has become useful. He was no longer an angry and bitter slave, but ready to be a helpful and loyal servant because of his newfound identity in Christ. We can see that Paul also has hope and has confidence that Philemon's character has been changed. It would be scary, scary, it would be easy for him to respond to Onesimus with anger and retaliation upon his return. But here, Paul reminds him of his faith in Christ and of what that means. It means that we are changed. And with that change comes a shift in how we respond and act toward the people around us. And I love how Paul puts it. He says, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. Your love has given me great encouragement because you, brother, 
have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Paul knows that he can ask this favor of Philemon because he has faith in the truth that the gospel can change our very character. And he has seen great faith and great love in Philemon's attitude toward God's people. He has opened up his home as a place of worship. He has opened up his home and and created an oasis where God's people can come to rest and be refreshed. And so Paul makes this request, believing that Philemon will do even more than he has asked. See, without the good news of the gospel, we would remain like Paul and Onesimus used to be, or like you and I used to be. And as human beings, the truth is that we will always be sinful on this side of eternity, but without the gospel, we would be forever stuck in that sin. And so what Paul is reminding Philemon here is that the gospel, the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ has the power to change our character. And we also learn that the gospel changes our relationships with others. See, changed relationships are the natural result of a changed character. When we change from being gentle, hostile to gentle, or from being selfish to humble, it's going to impact our relationships with people around us. And the story from Philemon shows us two basic relational changes. First, the gospel takes us from alienation to reconciliation. When Onesimus ran away, I have no doubt in my mind that Philemon was angry. And I also have no doubt that Onesimus felt negatively toward his master Philemon, probably resentful for having to serve a wealthy man who had so much. And so I also imagine that Onesimus, changed as he was, still felt scared and unsure about how he would be received by his master. Unsure about just how changed Philemon really was perhaps wondering how a relationship as strained as that could ever be reconciled. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he says, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Jesus' point here is that we can't follow and worship God fully unless we do everything possible to be reconciled with the people around us. And that is only possible through the transformational power of the gospel. See, people with wounded hearts need a second chance and an opportunity to be forgiven, and the gospel is that chance. The gospel is the good news that we can be washed clean and born again. We see this second chance over and over again all throughout scripture. And now Paul is asking Philemon to give Onesimus that second chance. Yes, he had done something wrong. He had run away. He had stolen from his master. He had committed a crime. But Paul believes that Onesimus deserves another chance, just like he got one, and just like Philemon himself 
presumably got one when he accepted Christ into his heart. Onesimus deserved forgiveness and the opportunity for repentance and the reconciliation of a broken relationship because that is what Jesus did for us. And that is what we are told to go and do for others. And so the gospel takes us from alienation to reconciliation. The gospel also changes us from relating to others on the basis of social status to relating as a family. Before Onesimus ran away and met Paul, he and Philemon had a relationship that was strictly master and slave. But now because of the gospel, it had an entirely new dimension to it, brother and brother. In verse 15, Paul says, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. These two men had a new basis for understanding each other. Rather than being separated on the basis of their social status, their identity in Christ put them on the same level because now they were members of God's family. And I'll admit this shift can sometimes be difficult for us to understand or even see and recognize in our own lives. But when a relationship undergoes that kind of change, all titles become irrelevant because the relationship no longer depends on human classification and distinction, but instead on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We become one body, one family. And even though it was as a slave that Onesimus ran away, and it would be as a slave that he returned, he was returning to people who were now members of his family in Christ Jesus. First Corinthians says that in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. The gospel drastically changes our character it changes our relationships with those around us, bringing us from alienation to reconciliation and transforming us into a family. And finally, the gospel changes our relationship with God. In a commentary on Philemon, Martin Luther once wrote, we are all the Lord's Onesimi. Now I'm not Sure, that Onesimi is the correct plural form of Onesimus, but the point Luther was making is a very good one, that we are each like Onesimus. God created each one of us to serve him, and he is our rightful master and our God. But just like Onesimus, we rebelled against him. We turned our backs, we separated ourselves and sinned. We, too, were fugitives on the run, guilty, and payment needed to be made for that. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first started hearing about God and learning about his character, I was filled with so much awe and joy, followed very closely by a little bit of panic. Because how could I possibly return to God in light of all the things that I had done wrong? How could I go back and face him? I was completely guilty and I couldn't imagine how he could possibly accept or want 
me. And maybe you have had those same thoughts or questions. Maybe you're having those thoughts and questions even today. But the good news is that Jesus came to the world and died for our sins, for each one of us individually. He poured out his blood and washed us clean as if to say, don't try to plead your own case. Don't try to justify yourself. You are guilty. But here, give your master this letter. You see, the words that Paul wrote on behalf of Onesimus echo the words that Jesus speaks on behalf of you and me. Receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge it to my account. Sin demands payment and its price is death. And everything we owe for our sins and for our mistakes and for our rebellion has been charged to Christ's account. His life was laid down instead of ours. And now all that remains for us to do is to return to God as his servant, place ourselves back under his lordship and seek to do his will. It is because of Christ's payment that we are free to come before God the Father, welcomed as his sons and daughters who have no debt left to pay. The gospel changes things. It changes our character. It changes our relationship with one another and it changes our relationship with God himself. How such rich and deep truth can be found in such a short letter between friends is beyond me, but I am so grateful for that truth. So this morning, as we finish up this New Testament postcard series, I wonder, has God opened your eyes to see that each one of us is just as in need of his grace and his mercy as Onesimus, the runaway slave? Have we truly accepted the gift that God has extended to us through his son? And if we have, are we allowing that grace to change us, to change our character and our relationships? Are we becoming less angry and more peaceful? Are we becoming less jealous and instead more kind and patient? Are we working at being reconciled to those that we've been alienated from? Do we seek to forgive and make amends rather than hold grudges? If any of these questions are in your heart this morning too, like they're in mine, I encourage you and invite you to tell someone about it to talk to your friend or your family member, to come receive prayer from our prayer team or to talk with a leader or a mentor. Because church, this letter between Paul and Philemon reminds us that the gospel has the power to change everything. And so it's my deepest prayer that each one of us would take hold of it and allow the gospel to transform us. And I have faith that when we do, it has the power to turn everything on its head. It has the power to heal wounds and to bring outcasts home. It has the power to reconcile families, bring rest to the weary and refresh our souls. 
the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to raise the dead and transform slave to brother and even sinner to son. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning just completely in awe of your grace and your mercy and your goodness. And God, we are so thankful for all of the blessings you have poured out to each one of us and for the ways that you call us back to yourself and receive us as your sons and as your daughters because of Jesus. God, this morning we ask that you would continue changing us change our character to look more like you, change our relationships to reflect the plans that you have for us. And God, help us to recognize and to lean into our changed relationship with you. God, this morning we pray for boldness and for courage as we pursue this changed life. And God, help us to support and encourage each other as one family. We pray this all in your son Jesus' name.